E-A-B-L-E-S. Ebels. Remember that name because if you suffer from chronic joint and muscle pain like me, then Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil is your answer to your prayers. The Ebels story began with the search for something natural to help manage chronic migraines. But Ebels helps more than just migraines. From managing chronic pain, anxiety, depression, and more, Ebels is truly a game changer in the natural alternatives to big pharma drugs. And yours truly, Brian Nichols, here on The Brian Nichols Show, can indeed vouch for the quality of Ebels. Having a herniated disc in my back, coupled with years of sports injuries, I was struggling to find something, anything to help manage my pain. That is until Ebels. With the best quality product and customer service in the industry, Ebels Broad Spectrum CBD Oil and Ebels Freeze Gel easily stand above all the competition. And right now, Ebels is offering a special discount to all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience on all orders. All you have to do is head to Ebels.com and use promo code TB. NS, the Brian Nichols Show, right? TBNS at checkout. That's it. Discount applied. Again, the code is TBNS at checkout to start managing your pain today with the highest quality CBD on the market. One more time, that is code TBNS at checkout. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At the Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Are you prepared? To be scared? Well, don't worry. We're not going to scare you here in the Brian Nichols Show. Welcome, folks, to Monday's episode. Yes, I am your humble host, Brian Nichols. I don't want to scare you because today's episode is one Dr. Patrick Moore. And what were we talking about? The unified theory of scare stories. That's right. We are conditioned as a society to be afraid. Why? Because an afraid populace will definitely look to something to keep them safe and secure. And when government's presented as that solution, well, by all means, please fill that void, government. So Dr. Moore joins the program today to discuss how such good intention organizations, one that he even founded like Greenpeace, which was focused on helping with conservation, environmentalism, and so forth, has been co-opted into this completely ludicrous notion of being really anti-human. So uh, today, digging into not only that, but also the experts. We've been told to trust the experts, especially in an era of COVID, and yet we've seen experts aren't as infallible as we once thought, and maybe to the contrary, experts can actually kind of get paid off in certain ways. So with all that being said, Dr. Moore digs into that and more, so... Without being said, onto the show, Dr. Patrick Moore here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hi, Brian. Good to be here. Thank you so much for joining the program, Dr. Patrick Moore. I am, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because, candidly, you've been doing so much work in, in helping protect the environment. And from a conservation standpoint especially, that's something I think folks on the right, they should be having more of a conversation about. So for folks maybe who aren't familiar with you, which I would dare say is, is few, but there are going to be a few folks out there, Dr. Moore. So let's kind of walk through your experience here in the greater environmental conservation movement, starting specifically with Greenpeace. Well, I was doing a PhD in ecology in the late 60s before that word was actually printed in the public media yet. 
Uh, environment was being talked about more, though. But it was also the height of the Cold War, the Vietnam War, the threat of all-out nuclear war, and, of course, the emerging consciousness of the environment. Those things came together into a concept called Greenpeace. It all started when a little group of people, including myself while I was doing my PhD, began to meet in the, in the basement of the Unitarian Church in Vancouver. Vancouver, Canada is where Greenpeace started. And I was one of them. And we sailed a boat across the North Pacific against U.S. hydrogen bomb testing. And we actually went up against what was arguably the most powerful organization in the world, the U.S. Atomic Energy Agency, with all their nuclear weapons. And we beat them because President Nixon canceled the remaining hydrogen bomb tests. And this was kind of the cusp of the Cold War. From there on, it began to de-escalate. And Russia and the United States started talking about reducing the number of nuclear missiles and all that. And then we went on to stop French nuclear testing in the South Pacific and to stop the killing of 30,000 whales every year on the high seas by actually going out there and getting in front of the harpoons. And then we stopped the slaughter of hundreds of thousands of nursing seal pups every year off the east coast of Canada. And then we went after the toxics. And then it got interesting. Uh, but also what happened along that way, I was in the top committee eventually helping create Greenpeace International in 1979. And I was the only one with a science education in our whole list of international directors, six of us. Now, all the others were political scientists, social activists, uh, people trying to make a career in the environmental movement because now you could actually make a living at it. And some funny things happened along the way. One of them was that the word peace kind of got dropped. We were still called Greenpeace, but really it was all about green. And the environmental movement started to talk about humans as the enemies of the earth, the enemies of nature, as if we were the only evil species on the planet. Like that is way too much like original sin for me, like fire and brimstone religion. And I'm a spiritual guy, but I'm not into being the most only evil thing on the planet. I know that's not true. And so there was that high-level philosophical point. And then my fellow directors decided that the next campaign should be to ban chlorine worldwide. Well, chlorine is one of the elements in the periodic table, so it has a place in the universe. Right. Um, and I didn't think that was really right to think you could do that. Well, of course you can't. But most important, it's the most important element of all 94 natural elements for public health and medicine. Putting chlorine in drinking water is the biggest advance in the history of public health and in our swimming pools and spas and to prevent waterborne communicable disease. And 85% of our medicines are based on chlorine chemistry and 25% of our medicines actually have chlorine in them. So I just couldn't stay in an organization that was thinking along those lines and had to get out and decided to become a sensible environmentalist or the sensible environmentalist, basing my policies on science and logic rather than misinformation, sensationalism, and fear. Fear being the common denominator. And that's why I have invented the unified theory of scare stories, which I'd be glad to explain to you now. I, I would love to hear that because I think what we're going to hear, Dr. Moore, is a correlation likely in the way that the narrative as it pertains to COVID really has been discussed because fear seems to be that reoccurring theme, evidence, data to be damned. 
I will focus mostly on the environmental stuff, but you are 100% correct. COVID is invisible. And the unified theory of scare, scare stories, people might know that in physics, there's this sort of holy grail called the unified field theory, where all of the theories about gravity and heat and light and everything else all come together in one unified theory, sort of like E equals MC squared, you know, times 20. It's probably never going to happen. But the unified theory of scare stories may not get me a Nobel Prize, but it is a true thing. And that is that all the scare stories, pretty well since the beginning of human civilization, have been built on things that are either invisible, like CO2, radiation, whatever bad thing there is in genetically modified foods, which obviously doesn't exist because not only can't they show it to us, but it doesn't have a name or a chemical formula. That would be a clue. Right. Most things have names and chemical formulas if they are a thing. It is not a thing. It, it is nothing. CO2 and radiation at least are real things. And then there's the COVID, which is another classic case of something invisible that they can build a fear campaign on. There, there's reason to be concerned about COVID. Obviously, I'm not an idiot. But I'm also not someone who's going to be taken in by the idea that after you've been vaccinated, you still have to wear a mask outside. <laughs> right. You know, that sort of thing. It doesn't make any logic to me. Then not only invisible, but also so remote, like polar bears and coral reefs and the great Pacific garbage patch, which I can fake. There's no such thing, right? It does not exist. But nobody could see if it did or not because it's thousands of miles in the sea. So people are willing to buy into these scare stories, even though they are depending not on their own observations, because you can't see things that are invisible or far away. Right. So they depend on the activists raising money on these scare stories, the media raising advertising revenue and circulation on these scare stories, the leftist politicians in particular, buying science from the scientists to make up the scare stories and promising they will save your grandchildren from a certain death. You see, you're driving down the freeway in your SUV. You're afraid you're killing your grandchildren, and that makes you guilty. And yeah. fear and guilt go together to open the wallet and send a big check to one of these hundreds of groups that say they are going to stop the global warming and save the earth. No, they're not. They're just going to collect your money and keep saying that the earth is coming to an end. They're not going to stop it from coming to an end because it isn't going to come to an end. That's <laughs> Hard to stop something that isn't going to happen. Right. Well, there you have my theory in a nutshell, Brian, and that's I'm sticking to it. I like it. No, I like it because it's true. And, and I'm in sales. I'm a sales executive in the greater telecommunications industry. And one of the things that everybody in sales know, the two number one and two things that sell are fear and love. And, and we see this right now across the board that fear right now is the number one selling point. There's a, a, C, a CNN tech director, I believe he was, um, who was caught on hidden camera basically admitting as much that fear yes, sells. I saw that. Yes, and that climate change is going to be the next big thing. And Dr. Moore, you, you started to mention this. I didn't actually think about this in the conversation today, but I do think it, it has some merit, not just in the conversation as it pertains to the conservation uh, environmentalist debate, but also in this greater COVID discussion is that there are scientists and we've heard this, this discussion nonstop, trust the experts, trust the scientists, but scientists can have bias. Scientists can be influenced. Could you speak to that a little bit more, please? Well, especially in the area of climate change. I mean, I'm not a COVID expert, but I know it's exactly the same formula. It's obvious from what you see. And 
the thing in, in the climate scare is they are actually inventing this stuff because it suits the politicians and the medias and the activists' interests. So they're not necessarily the progenitors of it. It's kind of a circle jerk, if you know what I mean. They're all in it together and they're all feeding off each other. But the scientists are actually the ones who are willing to lie about the history of the earth. For example, that CO2 is lower now than it has been throughout nearly the entire history of life. And that just 20,000 years ago, at the peak of the most recent glaciation event, which is one of 40 which have occurred in the last two and a half million years during this Pleistocene Ice Age that we are locked in. See the ice behind me on the mountain there. That's the, And I'm not even barely more than halfway to the North Pole from the equator here on Vancouver Island. And the whole Earth on the poles is still covered in ice, even in this interglacial period, which is a warmer period. But it's not only lower CO2 now than ever in the history of the Earth. The temperature is the lowest it's been in 250 million years during this Pleistocene Ice Age, because this is the first ice age that has happened in 250 million years. In between the last one, called the Karoo, which imagine lasted 100 million years, this one's only two and a half million years old. That wow. Karoo Ice Age ended 250 million years ago, and since then, up until when this Pleistocene came on a couple of million years ago, there was no ice on the poles. Well, Antarctic started to freeze up sooner, because the southern hemisphere is colder due to having more water and less land, the northern hemisphere having more land, which heats up easier than the ocean does. So I could go on for about 17 hours now on this, but <laughs> I won't. I'll just tell you that temperature is lower now and CO2 is lower now than it has been for most of life, and they're telling you the opposite and that we're all going to die from it. Well, nobody hears this in school. You're taught the exact opposite. I say that as a the product of a public education, candidly, and... I get scared because there's a lot of folks out there, and this is one of the top topics. So if you look at Gen Z, their number one and two issues are climate change and racial issues. So they're looking at climate change and they're trying to figure out how to solve climate change. But to the point, a lot of folks are starting off with just completely inaccurate information. And I guess that really does speak to a big problem we see, Dr. Moore. So what is the solution to the misinformation campaign? How can we overcome this unified theory of scare ta uh, stories? How, how is that something that we can actually look at as uh, something to, to maybe tackle and <laughs> put away as an objection? You know, AOC actually says that racial injustice is caused by climate change. Or is it that climate change is caused by racial injustice? I, I haven't got that straight yet. But anyways, they are strongly correlated in some way or another, I'm sure. So it's, it's so completely ridiculous, it's hard to even discuss it. Because there is nothing to it. It is a total hoax. It is a total scare story, just like all the others. Another way of putting it is all the doomsday stories that have ever happened from the beginning of civilization have been false. Every single one of however many hundreds or thousands of them there have been. I didn't even you think know, about that. <laughs> you know how I know that? Because it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> Otherwise, we wouldn't be talking over the computer here. Otherwise, Doomsday would have already taken the planet out and the whole of species with it. So the fact is, the biodiversity of living things on this earth, the number of species, has continually increased since the beginning of life especially since the explosion of life in the Cambrian explosion of life when multicellular life emerged 
and then came on the land, it has constantly increased with interruptions by what are probably asteroids. The last one certainly was the dinosaur extinction. It could have been massive volcanic eruptions, but the common denominator is massive amounts of material were thrown into the stratosphere by the impact of the, of the asteroid, blocking out the sun for four or five, six years, photosynthesis stopped, the food chain wow. ended, and everything died. And the reason the birds survived, which are descended from dinosaurs, and none of the dinosaurs that couldn't fly did survive, is because they could fly for hundreds of miles and eat all the dead things, right? That's the reason they survived through it. But our ancestors survived through it too somehow, the small mammals that were already existing at that time. But if you look at National Geographic, just before or about the time it went tabloid in 1999, they were still doing some decent science back then. All the popular science magazines have gone uh, extremist. New Scientist, Scientific American, Science Magazine, and National Geographic. You can't believe anything you read in them anymore. But at that time, they published a graph which showed the ever-increasing biodiversity on planet Earth. And it is a true thing. So evolution is so powerful that even though there's been five massive extinctions, in some cases wiping out 90% of all the species on Earth, when it came back, it came back stronger than it was before. So life is a very powerful force on this Earth. And right now, we are releasing some of the carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere that the plants took out and the animals in the sea took out, making their calcareous shells. The plants took it out by making wood mainly into trees, which turned into coal and was therefore lost to the carbon cycle in the air and the oceans. And the same thing with the shells of corals and other marine animals that make shells. For half a billion years, they've been sucking carbon dioxide out of the sea and combining it with calcium to make their armor plating, which was a brilliant invention, wow. except it presaged the end of life after they sucked all the CO2 out of the oceans and the, and, and, the, and the plants in the atmosphere, the animals in the sea and the plants in the sea too, all that stuff got locked into sediments. Now we're putting it back where it belongs, if we want some life to continue, into the atmosphere. So people don't realize that all the fossil fuels were made with solar energy. Fossil fuels are made from life. They're not made from Mars, from some death machine that came down here to poison us all. They're actually made from life. So get with it, people. Carbon dioxide is the essential element for life along with water. Those two things are what photosynthesis use, uses to make sugar, to power the entire life on this planet with energy. Sugar, glucose. Cellulose is polyglucose. Cellulose was life's first plastic. We didn't invent plastic. Life invented plastic. <laughs> Cotton is plastic because it's made from cellulose, which is a polymer of glucose molecules. In other words, a plastic. So there's lots of plastic in life all over the place. Our membranes are made out of plastic in many cases. Would it be fair to say that the approach that, and we've seen this, the approach that we need to start slowing down the, the warming up, would it be fair to, to even maybe make a counter argument that are trying to slow down the, uh, the the inevitable, I guess, warming to your point could actually end up doing more harm than good per what should, I guess, be happening per the cyclical nature of it? We, we, we could not. We, we could not slow down the warming of the earth in this modern warm period if we tried, as far as I know. I mean, Bill Gates says he's going to block out the sun for a few years. That'd be great for crop production, wouldn't it? 
what an idiot. I mean, he, he, he should stick to chips, those things that are in computers. I don't know much about them, and he doesn't know much about biology or the history of the earth, obviously. But, uh, you know, you're making me talk about so much stuff that I forgot to mention my book already. Oh, goodness, uh, yes. <laughs> I actually have a new book. That's why I'm talking to you so much. Yes, yeah, yes, please. Let's, let's, let's dig into that because, I mean, I could, I could go on all day about the, the conversations about, you know, first, first and foremost, the economic policy because this is something that I think we're going to be seeing <sighs> – Next 10 years, this is going to be top of mind. But yes, let's dig into the book. Dr. Moore, please, uh, I'll, I'll let you set the stage. I think who better to introduce your book than you? No, uh, but really, economic policy, they, they're signing a death warrant for Western civilization here. I mean, there's no doubt about it. But my book is titled Fake Invisible Catastrophes and Threats of Doom. And there's a little man on the front with a sign saying, you will perish in flames. I stole that from Ghostbusters. It was such a classic line in that film. And... So and the EPA was a bad guy, by the way. The EPA was a bad guy in Ghostbusters. I think everybody needs to remember that. That at the end of the show, who's the bad guy? It wasn't Bill Murray. It was the really mean EPA guy that was trying to release all the ghosts for the the economic contamination. So just want to make sure we remember that. Bill Murray nicknamed him Pencil Neck in the movie. That's right. He was he was like the, the the mayor's assistant, and it was such a funny movie. I mean, I watched it about eight times. But uh, fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom is based on this fact that all the scare stories are about things that are invisible or remote. So it's not just about climate change. That is one of the most complex subjects in the book. But it is also about the polar bears and the coral reefs and radiation and nuclear energy and the energy issue in general. And it debunks in 11 chapters, 11 different scare stories. Like, for example... Sir Richard Attenborough actually wants us to believe that walruses are leaping to their death, committing suicide in Russia off cliffs because there isn't enough ice because of climate change. When in fact, a pack of polar bears was sneaking up behind them and about to eat them alive. And they chose jumping off a cliff instead of being eaten alive by polar bears. After they jumped off the cliff and died, then the polar bears went and ate them while they were dead. And I'm sure the walruses preferred it that way. But that's the kind of garbage that is being, you know, he's going to Dave Austin, the World Economic Forum, and making people break down weeping because of the walruses jumping off the cliffs to their death because of climate change. And another one of his, I mean, I blow him away three times in this book because he is so good at lying with a, a tear in his eye. And he's telling us that albatross, seabirds, living on, breeding on islands way offshore out in the middle of nowhere where no one can see what's happening. Talk about remote. He's saying that the albatross are feeding plastic to their chicks, mistaking it for food. It is true that seabirds give plastic bits to their chicks. They do it on purpose because birds have gizzards, which is a muscular stomach where their food is ground. Birds don't have teeth. They have to swallow their food whole. So say when they swallow a squid, They keep the beak of the squid, which is a solid object, in their gizzard. They don't poop it out. They just leave it there so it can help grind up their food. They also are fed bits of pumice, which is floating volcanic ash because it's like a sponge, so it floats. They use nuts. They use bits of wood because there's no pebbles in the ocean. They don't float very well. So whereas land birds all use pebbles to feed their chicks before they fledge, and then for the rest of their life, they have to ingest pebbles. They're not eating them. They are ingesting them as a digestive aid. 
in their gizzard. I think Richard Attenborough knows about that. He wrote The Secret Life of Birds and did a 10-part series on BBC about birds. So he knows that birds have a gizzard and that they feed their chicks bits of hard objects. And for the last 50 years or so since plastic got in the ocean, where it's no different than a piece of driftwood from a physical point of view, if it floats, stuff lays their, the species lay their eggs on it. They eat what's ever growing on it. They grow on it like barnacles grow on it. And seabirds use it as a substitute for the other hard objects that they've been using for millions of years in order to help their chicks digest their food. So it's a perfectly natural, good They don't feed plastic bags to their chicks. And Attenborough actually stands there on the island with a plastic bag held up before you saying they're feeding these plastic bags to their chicks. There's no video of feeding a plastic bag to the chick. There's no video of opening up a chick and finding a plastic bag in it. But if you go on the internet, Smithsonian does this, Greenpeace does this, Attenborough does this. All of them are lying. They say they've opened up these dead chicks and you see this mass of plastic stuff. That there's no possibility that chick could have had that much plastic in it. They are staged. Look them up. Albatross chick full of plastic on the internet. Look up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch on the internet and you will find photoshopped images. There's a number of them there where people have just painted a, th a blob on the Pacific Ocean and said, this is the Pacific Garbage Patch. Or they have taken pictures of, this, of, of the debris in the ocean off Japan after the tsunami, when 20,000 people died in that tsunami from coming in and washing towns right off into the sea. And that debris formed a huge debris field. And if you look at the picture, the, the one that's in my book, and you'll see it on the internet if you go Google Great Pacific Garbage Patch, that's all you'll see, is fake pictures. And it says under it part of the Pacific Garbage Patch, but there's mountains in the background, lots of mountains in the background. That's Japan in the background. It's not the Pacific Ocean. Pacific Ocean doesn't have mountains on it, especially not out in the middle of it where they say this garbage patch is. So these are the kinds of things in my book where I prove that all of the scare stories that are most high profile, there's other ones too that I could have used. Like people say salmon farming is killing the wild fish, right? With the wild salmon by putting lice in the ocean. It's well, not. No, sa salmon come from hatcheries into the ocean clean. They have no lice on them when they come in the ocean. The sea, the sea fish, the marine fish, are full of lice. The farm salmon get the lice from the marine fish. And then they say, oh, yes, but then they breed them and put them back, and they've got all these theories. But it's completely BS. Farmed salmon actually takes the pressure off wild stocks. The, the amount of wild seafood that is being harvested in the world leveled off about 20 years ago, because they're they're maxing it out. They should be catching less, in fact, letting the, some of the species recover a bit more, because they're taking it as fast as it grows. But aquaculture in all kinds of marine and freshwater species of shellfish and fish is now nearly 50% of all the seafood eaten in the world, and it's taken the pressure off the wild stock, while at the same time giving us the healthy seafood species that are really good for us. The oils and proteins are excellent for us. It also employs people on coastal communities in remote places, 20, you know, 365 days a year, unlike most wild fishing, which is extremely seasonal. And it provides one of the healthiest foods. So it does, it's, it's really, it's a sustainable development in that it satisfies social, environmental, and economic criteria. 
and, and, and takes pressure off the wild stocks of marine and freshwater uh, sea, seafood and, and trouts and things like that. So it's a good thing. I don't have that in the book, but I could put it in there and I could put about six or seven other scare stories in there that like salmon farming is under the sea, right? Everything that's under the sea is more or less invisible to the average person. How many people go scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef? <laughs> right. You know, well, people do, but you can't, the, the Great Barrier Reef is like as big as Texas. You can't see the whole thing at once. And these scientists are coming back and saying the Great Barrier Reef is nearly dead or almost dead or dying or terminally ill. Note, they didn't say dead anywhere there. They say things like that just to obfuscate. And, and then they totally maximize and exaggerate the situation. Actually, hurricanes, what they call cyclones down there, is the main cause of damage to coral reefs. And what they do take advantage of with all the living things that they're saying are going to die, of course they're going to die. Every living thing dies. But then new ones are born. They forget to mention that part. And that's the same thing with the polar bears and the coral reefs and every other species that they say is dying. Not dead, mind you, but dying. Dr. Moore, we, we unfortunately are getting close to time. So I think I want to give you the chance here to wrap up the show. If you could make your pitch to Gen Z and some millennials out there who are weary of the environment. Now, let's say uh, to, to their their sympathies, maybe not let's go the, the entire Green New Deal approach, but maybe let's talk a conservation approach. What can they do right now so they can feel that they're having a positive impact in their communities and in their greater surrounding environment right now at this moment? Well, actually, in the developed world, in the industrialized world like the United States, we have done so much since the environmental movement began. The air is so much cleaner now. The water is so much cleaner now. People are caring about the conservation of soils and all the, and all the other things, the conservation of trees. For, forest land has grown since 1900 in the United States and Canada. And in China and India, they are planting new forests faster than all the rest of the world put together. So there is a lot of good going on. Focus on the land focused on ecosystems. And, and don't, don't make it out as if nobody can build anything or that enemies, the people are always the enemies of nature. Our release of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere, the thing they say is going to destroy nature, is actually one of the best things that we are doing because carbon dioxide is fertilizer. So the environmental movement has turned everything on its head since it started with good intentions, mainly for, of conservation. And you know, the, 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 the Nature Conservancy is actually the biggest environmental group in the United States. You don't hear about them much because they don't have any doomsday stories. They're just trying to save beautiful places for the future. And they actually pay for it instead of stealing it like much of the environmental movement does, taking things away from people without compensating them for them. So that, that, that's why it's a, such a disconnect. But what people could do mainly is to learn. Hmm. We've all been propagandized. I'm lucky. I've been a scientist all my life with a scientific mind, always critical thinking. Learn critical thinking. Learn that when people say something may, might, or could happen, that they should be saying may or may not, might or might not, could or could not happen. Because it's just a speculation when you say something might happen. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It, it also means it might not happen. And that's just the, the facts. So you've got to think critically about things. You've got to think about the logic in the things that are being told to you 
about what might happen in the future. Remember that predictions about the future are not the same as history or things that are happening today that you can actually see and document. Yogi Berra said it, predictions are difficult, especially about the future. Always remember that. There is no crystal ball. It is a mythical object. Computer models are not soothsayers or oracles. They are not future tellers. Computer models are tools, and what comes out of them depends entirely on what you put in them at the beginning, your assumptions. So another thing to remember is that a skeptic, a definition of a skeptic, is someone who disagrees with your conclusions, you know, without thinking you're a bad person, but just disagrees with the conclusions you're making about climate change, for example. A heretic, however, is a bird of a different color. A heretic disagrees with your assumptions. Your assumptions are what you've made your conclusions from. You go back to the assumptions on which conclusions are based, and you really get to the nub of the subject. And if I was to say anything, I would say critical thinking. They've stopped teaching it. They just want to fill your head full of stuff without you questioning it ever. Read about critical thinking. Yep. No, well, I I actually made this point uh, a couple of months ago. We were talking about how at the very beginning of the uh, pandemic, what was the one thing, I know I always bring it back to the pandemic, but we're experiencing it right now, folks. And what was the one thing we weren't allowed to do was ask why. Are you sure? Can we maybe maybe look into this a little bit more before we start making unilateral decision? You are told, no, you can't do that. Otherwise, you want people to die. And right back to fear, which, I mean, unified theory of scare attack, uh, stare stories there, Patrick Moore. I think, uh, yeah, people are starting to see through th- the, uh, the the fog. They're starting to wake up a little bit. Uh, and hey, with fake invisible catastrophes and threats of doom, of course, we'll include the link to the Amazon in the show notes so folks can go ahead and follow that. But with that being said, Dr. Patrick Moore, thank you so much for all the work you have done. You are still doing and definitely we'll make sure we have you on again in the future for the uh, the program to be sure. Thanks very much, Brian. And thanks all you watchers and listeners out there. Critical thinking and carbon dioxide is the most important food for all life. Get ready to start your new morning ritual with our new sponsor, Mudwater. Coffee is one of America's favorite beverages, with more and more people starting their coffee habits every day with a cup of that flavorful anxiety juice. But let's be real. Have you ever heard anyone say, I'm working on getting more coffee into my life? Millions of people complain about the jitters that come from coffee consumption. Our morning coffee rituals can be habit-forming and, for some people, can make getting a good night's sleep almost impossible. And while nearly all of us like the smell, taste, and ritual of our morning coffee, why not explore eliminating the negative aspects of our morning brew? Well, what if your coffee replacement helped induce alertness, not dependency, improve mental capacity and function, improve physical stamina and performance, improve immunity and overall health. Oh, and by the way, it tastes good enough to drink every single day. Meet Mudwater. Mudwater is your fastest growing coffee alternative in the market, consisting of organic ingredients lauded by cultures both old and young for their health and performance benefits. With one-seventh the caffeine of coffee, Mud gives you the natural energy and focus you expect from coffee, but without the jitters and crash. With an organic blend of mushrooms and ingredients like cacao, marsala, chai, turmeric, lion's mane, and more, Mudwater offers a beverage like no other. Whether you want to enjoy it hot, cold, as a latte, or however you take your coffee in the morning, Mudwater is the zero sugar, zero crash, zero jitter alternative, sure to leave you feeling recharged and refocused. Listen, I'm really excited to have Mudwater as a sponsor here on The Brian Nichols Show because I've been able to see the Mudwater difference for myself, and you can too, so click the link in the show notes to get some mud, support the show, 
and get your new morning ritual started right with mud water. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Dr. Patrick Moore. Thank you, Dr. Moore, for joining the program. And thank you, folks, for joining the program as well and helping support the program each and every episode, four episodes per week. And you guys keep showing up in the thousands. I'm I'm just astonished. The fact, the fact that we've gotten to the point here at the program where we're able to truly reach tens of thousands of people every single month and help educate, enlighten, and inform. It, it's so rewarding, and that's entirely because of you. Uh, thank you for all your, your support in helping us, yes, have these conversations about the issues that people truly care about. Right now, climate change is an issue that's on a lot of people's minds, so it Hey, even if you don't agree with Dr. Moore's perspective, it's important that you hear the perspective because there is, it's, it's important, let me rephrase it this way, it's important for us to know how to have a conversation, to know how to have a dialogue with one another. We see too often that it, it's, if you go to CNN, go to Fox News, it's two talking heads, not having a conversation trying to learn from one another and to understand one another, but rather to talk past one each other to make political points. That's not what we try to do here at the program, and that's not what we teach here at the show, right? We teach not just how to sell, but also how to reach people where they're at, which essentially is a form of marketing, knowing who your target market is, looking at the data, making sure we're reaffirming, we know who we're trying to talk to, but also making sure that what we're talking about is things that they actually care about. You can't just preach all day about what you think is important. We need to talk to people about what they think is important, and then help change their ideas and perspectives by asking phenomenal questions. So, hey, does this sound interesting? Do you think that this might be something you want to learn a little bit more about how to do? Well, guess what? You can become a supporting member of The Brian Nichols Show Patreon 5 dollars a month. Number one, you will go ahead and learn how to peak interest, and I will help you do that by sending you a don't hurt people, don't take people's stuff bumper sticker. That's right, that you'll get that just at the onset at the $5 a month level, but also you're going to start to uh, get involved in some awesome conversations, learning how to ask better questions, how to be a better salesperson for liberty. That's over on our Patreon. You can find that in the link here down in the show notes. Also, folks, for you longtime audio listener, remember, we have a YouTube version, so if you're watching the YouTubes, it's 8 p.m. Eastern here on Sunday night. You get to catch the program an entire, I guess, an entire day before than everybody else. So if you want to go ahead and check every single episode out before it airs on audio version, make sure you head over to the YouTubes, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell, and make sure you hit like on every single episode of the program. And folks, if you have not had the chance yet, follow me, social media right here at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds.com and Parlor.com. Email me, Brian at BrianNicholsShow.com. And also, if you want to go ahead and support the show by giving us a five-star rating and review over on Apple Podcasts, I would greatly appreciate it. It costs you absolutely nothing except, what, maybe two minutes of your time or so to tell somebody why you get value from the program. Hey, I know there's, like, what, a couple thousand of you right now who are listening. Let's go ahead and say five of you. Go to Apple Podcasts. That is huge because those five reviews will start to add up every single episode and all of a sudden we're going to have what a hundred or so reviews and those hundred or so reviews are going to reach people out beyond our liberty echo chamber and they're going to say oh 
I wonder what this podcast is about. And that's because of what you at the Brian Nichols Show audience are able to do. So I'm going to ask you to help us grow the show and help us spread the message beyond our Liberty Echo Chambers. Please go ahead to the Apple Podcast. Give us that quick five-star rating and review. Talking about telling stories, who is really good at telling stories? Good friend of the show, Matt Kibbe from Free the People. I last got to have a conversation with Matt over on his program, The Amazing Kibbe on Liberty. I ventured down to, yes, the the, the lion's den, Washington, D.C. Mind you, this is before we decided to have um, you know chains and, and military guard all around the, the Capitol building. Uh, it was a different world, to say the least, but still in the era of COVID, D.C. was kind of weird to begin with. Got to hang out with a good friend, Brad Palumbo from Fee and Breaking Boundaries, but... When I talked to Matt, we were talking about how we can sell Liberty more by asking more questions. Well, I'm going to start talking uh, to Matt today, and I say today on Wednesday, uh, talking about telling stories. Let's specifically dig into what kind of stories are really changing people's minds and how we can effectively tell stories. What's the the story look like from start to finish, the best way to communicate the, the ideas that we present here in story form. So if you're interested in that amazing conversation coming up here on Wednesday, make sure you've hit subscribe so you're not missing a single episode airing not only on Wednesday, but coming up here later this week as well. So with that being said, folks, thank you so much for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. With that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off for Dr. Patrick Moore. We'll see you Wednesday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com. Audio production for The Brian Nichols Show is brought to you by DB Podcast Audio. Learn more by emailing inquiries to william at dbpodaudio.com.